Hello and welcome to the Learning Pack Podcast. My name is Chris Emanuel, husband, cat dad, cyclist, motorcyclist, gamer, nerd, educator, and, well, just me. I believe in finding the balance in all things, in our minds, bodies, and spirits. Doing this has become far too complicated with our modern lifestyles, and with this podcast I aim to make that balance attainable. A pack of wolves stands together, and I believe we as people do our best work in learning when we can find the pack we can be ourselves in. I aim to share learnings and find other people to speak with in many fields to help each of us connect and find a way to make our lives more balanced, one step at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to today's Learning Pack Podcast. I am grateful that I get to continue making these episodes and I'm starting to connect with a few other folks for some conversation episodes. We have our first set of interviews scheduled for this week and I am stoked for those conversations to happen and I'm looking forward to sharing those with everybody. So I I look back into the week that we just had. Um, We had a snow day in the middle of it, which was a great time to connect with other uh, teachers in our building and collaborate with them, something we don't normally get to do. also, I had a huge, huge celebration for our mariachi program. So I, uh, we started the first mariachi program in elementary schools for our district, um, thanks to a lot of help from the middle school and high school that our, our school feeds into. Um, those mariachi teachers have been really generous in their advice in providing some instruments for our students and helping to adapt some of the music for the younger learners we have at the elementary level. So really stoked that they had recognition um, from the local media. They were able to have some interviews with them and some awesome quotes from the kids and myself. And I, I'm just, anytime we get a chance to have our school be seen by the community in this positive light, I really, really appreciate. Um, so today's episode, it's about maps and compasses. And no, it's not about um, how you might use a map and compass to figure out things without using Google Maps. Um, I think back to the industrial era and in some sectors of work today where working life was about being a cog in the machine. Um, Go to work, do what you were told, go home to your family, sleep, and then repeat it all again the next day. Um, It's the world of having a map and having your entire life laid out in front of you. Um, I'm here to share about the joys of living life with a compass and how a compass can really help us know who we are and adapt to a world that continues to evolve and change before us. So on to today's episode. So to start off today's episode, I want to talk about the Legend of Zelda video game series. It's one of my all-time favorite video game series, and I really think back to my experiences with A Link to the Past for the Super Nintendo when I was growing up. Um, It was one of the first games that my sister and I would play cooperatively. In the game, we would never look at guides. We wouldn't necessarily use maps, but we would talk with each other. We would figure out Um, how to solve different puzzles, where we want to go next. Um, To get some items, we were talking to each other about where we haven't looked, where their items, where items might be. Um, And we really had the sense of like community with each other. And there was definitely the sense of exploration. Like there wasn't, like there was definitely a goal. The goal was to defeat Ganon and regain the Triforce. But how we got there, what kind of compass we used, um, the exploration was up to us, and it was an absolute amazing time. When it came to the 3D games, especially Majora's Mask with the 
the pressure of the moon coming to crash down on you an hour an hour of real-time gameplay would actually have the moon crash unless you use the song of time to go back in time to reset the world um there was this pressure to not only solve these things but also that if you didn't solve these things quickly enough that you would have to start everything all over again so I would actually start looking at game FAQs and other guides and try to figure out where everything was before I even got there. Like what, okay, first you go to this store, then you go into this door and get this special item, then use that to do this. And suddenly the the idea of exploration was coming out of it and in came the sense of completion, but also being told what to do from these guides, which to me, now that I'm thinking about it, kind of goes against everything that The Legend of Zelda set up. It was this idea of there being an open world, maybe talking to other players in our communities, and sharing secrets that we've discovered, and using all those things to then, you know, figure all the puzzles out. And it wasn't until Breath of the Wild came out that the sense of exploration came back. It was such an open world game. It was something that was so new to the Legend of Zelda series that I never looked at a guide once. It, I immediately invited you to see this open world in front of you and immediately let you have a lot of decisions that normally you might not have had. Um, again, you were exploring different pathways. Where could you go here? How do you get here? What item do you need for this place? Um, what are the different ways you can solve this? It wasn't just one thing. And you really got to be creative. You really got a, a sense of, you know, letting yourself go through the world as yourself with no map, no expectations, just going through. Yes, there was still the goal of defeating Ganon, but again, how you got there was completely up to you. You can even skip everything and just go right to Ganon if you want, like just like the speedrunners do. And it was finally an experience in a video game again where there was just the compass, just your sense of adventure and discovery and wonder what happens next. It was up to you. And it makes me think about our lives. In our lives, we all have a compass, and the compass is called the North Star. The North Star is something that might be a set of values that we can articulate to other people. It might be a vague sense of the kinds of things that we like to do. It might be different beliefs we have different groups of friends that we have. It might be different communities we belong to, but it is something that we gravitate towards and it's something that helps guide us through our lives and live it the way we would like to live it. When I think about schools right now, I think there is this huge, and not just schools, I think there's a lot of this in society in general, but there has been a very get back to normal, quote unquote, rhetoric. I think before the lockdowns began, I think we were believing that there was a sense of there being a map, you know, like we knew what to do. We knew how to handle certain situations. People weren't going through as much hardship. So we didn't necessarily need to dig up certain strategies to help out other folks. Then the pandemic hit and it really turned all these rocks up and underneath we started to see a lot of these things that were unearthed by this crisis were unearthed by this pandemic and what we're seeing is that number one 
the map that we thought we had was incorrect. Number two, the world in front of us continues to change more rapidly, or at least it seems to be changing more rapidly. Policies are coming out very quickly. Policies are changing very quickly. And I can speak for my field as an educator. We're trying to adapt to all those changes as best as we can. Some of us are able to move forward with these. Some of us are clinging to this sense of what teaching was versus what it is now. Um, again, this is going back to Uncharted territory. We're basically playing a library game of The Legend of Zelda. The way I see it, though, is that this is actually an, a great opportunity to have a, an infinite mindset. You know, there's infinite possibilities laid out in front of us. For the last two years, we have had this chance to flip the world around and start questioning things about ourselves, start questioning things about our systems, our cultures, our societies. And I'm not saying that this is all sugar and rainbows. There's been incredible turmoil and trauma for so many folks. And so many of us are pretending to be okay when really we're not all okay. But we have an opportunity as at the same time to use that compass and then figure out how can our values, how can, how can we go upstream? How can we use all these things to then make a better world for us tomorrow? How can we improve these systems so that our future generations are handled with care? Our future generations have had their stories recognized, have had their traumas recognized, and were able to be seen as people rather than cogs in the machine. So to me, this is actually exciting. We don't have a map. We have our North Stars, whether we're aware of it or not. We know what we believe. Maybe we can't articulate it, but we do know what we believe. We know what we stand for, what our values are, even if we haven't sat down to check those out. Um, if you haven't, though, I do strongly encourage you to sit down and think about yours because it can simplify so many decisions in our lives. I have to go back to the moments that led me to being actualized. So I wanted to step back to around last summer. Um, so last June and July, um, I was watching She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, the second show of the Netflix series. I think going through a graduate school program and taking on potential new roles is transformational. And transformations can make you vulnerable and sick. I was mentally exhausted, drained, spent, you name it. Um, a few weeks before the break, before summer break, I was doing summer school as well. So a few weeks before that, during the summer school, I started to watch the show. There were so many laughs during the show, and I honestly felt so seen by the characters, especially Adora, the main character. Um, so Adora, she becomes She-Ra after realizing the Horde has been indoctrinating her, saying all of what they were doing is for the good of the world, when really it was for the detriment of the world. She saw the real damage they were doing, found the sword of Shira after escaping from them, and found her way into the rebellion with the princesses. Uh, she's a character, without spoiling too much, who is a perfectionist, and is essentially making up for a lack of love from her maternal figure in the show. She was always put to high expectations and expected to be the perfect daughter, meaning the perfect obedient horde soldier. I myself am a recovering perfectionist and people pleaser. 
I still don't always know how to relax. I won't mention any details about this character, but her name is Mara, and one of the most powerful quotes she said was, You're worth more than what you can give to other people. You deserve love too. This came at a critical point in the story and really helped deliver a neat little bow on one of the character development arcs for Adora's story. Helping other people out, spreading random acts of kindness, doing acts of service, which benefit others are all great and can do a lot of good for the world and have a lot of benefit for your mental and spiritual health. When you are a people pleaser, you take care of others first, normally, and while you may be doing it because you genuinely want to help, you are also doing it because you think you're going to be rejected if you say no. Even if you're running on empty and it's going to hurt you to help somebody, it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your self-esteem you had because your sense of worth is tied to what others think of you or what you think others think of you. You only feel worthy when you're useful to somebody. There's usually a trauma from childhood that created that, and I'd encourage anyone that might be ready to dive into that kind of thing um, to check out some of Gabor Mate's work. He is a brilliant psychologist, a psychologist and specializes in how past traumas can influence how we might exist in the world as adults now. The first thing you need to know is that you are the person that gets to define your worth. When you know your North Star, you can follow it and then know your sense of belonging because belonging does not come from fitting in. It comes from being unashamedly you, living up to your values and not compromising those in order to find a sense of fitting in. Differences really make the world a beautiful place. And when all of the differences can come together openly, when we can seek to understand and accept that everyone is their own person, I think we would make a much better world then if we all agreed and shared one idea. If everybody shared the same thoughts, feelings, and ideas, then this would basically be a world of blobs where everybody looks the same, everyone's home looks the same, everyone's life looks the same, and that doesn't sound appealing to me. Bosses, colleagues, acquaintances, random people can disagree with you, and depending on their relationship with you, you can take your their feedback or just leave it. I work in a service-based field, which makes it easy to be taken for everything we are worth. Chew it up, spit out like nothing is left. We love what it is that we do. We love education. I love getting a chance to help future generations of students, future uh, current generations of students, really helping them be their best selves and figure out how to uh, be a human in this existence as we have it now through the music program that we have. But when we start suffering because we spend 50 to 90 hours a week trying to solve these educational issues, trying to do all these things, and then we're empty, something's absolutely wrong. But remember, you define your worth. You matter. The moment I realized this about myself was when I had applied for another position during the summer. I was excited by the opportunity to try something new, and I had applied and got an interview before I even finished the application. I was super shocked. I was like, what? Is this even possible? I scrambled to get my class a sub um, to make sure I was taken care of for the next day, got the plans going, and I went for it. Um, but so I called to confirm the details that, ev that evening and discovered that the interview was actually an accident. I finished the application and actually never got an in-person interview. I never received a call back. So eventually I did email and contacted that person 
and I heard, you don't have enough middle school experience. I said, thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your time. And I hung up. In my mind, I actually wasn't upset for the first time about this. In my mind, I was thinking, I hear this person, but I respectfully disagree with that comment. I know they're doing what's best for them and their organization. I honestly wish nothing but the best for them, but that feedback didn't matter to me. A few years ago, if I received that kind of call, I would have felt like crap and thought it was true. This was the moment that I knew that my worthiness is defined by me. I actually have the experience and I cannot, in good conscience, take into account feedback from someone that's out of my arena that never agreed to have a conversation with me and look beyond my resume. Even after a 30-minute conversation, they would have only known that 30-minute conversation. Any feedback on that 30-minute conversation absolutely would have been welcomed. But they don't know the whole me. And at that moment, I knew I mattered because that was no longer attached to someone else's acceptance of me for a position. This brings me to the next point. And this goes to Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena speech, which Brene Brown does a lot of work through, and she um, shares a story a lot. Um, it goes like this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Brene Brown attaches a second part to this. If you're not in the arena, also getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback. More kindly, if you're not going to hear me out and offer support or compassion, then I'm not interested. I think a lot of people tie their worth to everybody else. It's a very easy thing to do, especially with how we're programmed for a negativity bias. Even people who haven't earned a level of trust in which their feedback could matter. This particular employer did not invite me into the arena at all. So I wasn't going to take their feedback to heart at all. That's another point. Select whose words do matter and when they matter. I think back to Vivek Murthy. Um, he, breaks, he breaks down relationships and the roles they play in their lives. Um, for example, my husband is a great mechanic, loves me, and knows my worth. So I'm going to listen to his feedback on those particular matters, matters of love, matters of home, matters of vehicles, and things like that. Um, those are the, the points where his voice counts. And his voice is always coming from a place of loving me, wanting the best for me, and supporting me. But if I wanted advice about work that's specific to education, I would probably ask another educator, um, an administrative mentor, or somebody else who's in the arena, like my best friend, who's also an educator. The other issue I noticed is that when we want, we want everyone to be everything. When we expect that from other people, then expect to get nothing in return. 
So when we are taking inputs, I think it's helpful to surround ourselves with a variety of different people from all kinds of backgrounds and areas of expertise. So going back to that previous example, I can't expect this from a lot of people, but what I can expect from my husband is that he really knows the mechanical sides of vehicles and how to make a quality and informed decision on those topics. So basically, what I'm talking about here is purpose. What is the purpose of this relationship? What were the goals of this relationship? How does it play a part in our lives? How does my relationship play a part in their lives? That's how I'm going to interpret the feedback. We aren't going to have the answers for everything. And I'd be cautious of anyone who is selling something that claims to fix the unpleasantness in your life. These types of people are trying to sell maps. Do this and your blank will disappear. That's a lie. One of my values is self-care, so I can then take care of other people in my life. And I do so by incorporating different kinds of things like breath work into my daily routine. Most of the time I try to do this in the morning, but sometimes it happens at night. Do I still have anxiety and wake up from panic attacks occasionally? Absolutely. But do these strategies help out? Yes. But I get it. So many people would love to have the road drawn out for them. For life to be that simple... That would sound, that sounds amazing. But in so many cases, life isn't that simple. And to even say that it would be that simple is almost dishonoring the journey. Your North Star is your North Star. And it's extremely important to figure out what that is and to be open to it changing from time to time, depending on your experiences and what you learn. Knowing what your values are is the first part. You are only going to go get so far by declaring your values. And you can see organizations get into this issue a lot. Some organizations might have a value statement like, we value the whole child. And then on the other hand, they really push academics and that's it. That might be their educational organization's goal, but are they actually taking steps to commit to that value? Are they doing the work to truly back up those claims? Actions are absolutely going to speak louder here. But when you know your values, then it's up to you to do the work. You must live them out through your choices and actions. Again, having this compass is extremely valuable for you to live out your best life, and it will help illuminate the path. It's helped me shut off from work so that I can enjoy my time with my husband and cat, since family is one of my own values. Another value is to develop relationships and connect with people through compassion. Um, So that helps me make connections with students, colleagues, and friends in my life as well. If someone is out of character for me, or if something is out of character for me, I can understand that and make a choice that suits who I am. So to wrap up here, um, here here are the three pieces of advice I would say. It's dangerous to go alone without your values. It's dangerous to go alone without other people, colleagues, teammates, friends, family, community, whoever it is. Don't expect each person to be everything for you, but how can you contribute to each other? Who are you to them and vice versa? And finally, it's dangerous to go alone without remembering to use your values for others. How can you benefit other people? How can you benefit society? I think this tweet from Adam Grant, author of Think Again, sums this up quite nicely. The antidote to selfishness isn't altruism, it's generosity.
Selfishness is expecting others to sacrifice for you. Altruism is sacrificing yourself for others. But generosity is helping others without hurting yourself. You can't care for others if you don't take care of yourself. The name of this podcast is the Learning Pack Podcast because I believe that we benefit most from learning together, much like a pack of wolves works together and runs together too. I encourage you to think about one thing that you would like to take away from this episode that you can start implementing in your own life. Many people will be tempted to just change everything, but I honestly encourage you to pick one impactful idea and experiment. Try it out. If you like the podcast episode, please like the Twitter account and share this episode with someone else you think could benefit from hearing this today. If you would like to learn with the pack, please follow me on Twitter at Learning Pack, Facebook at Learning Pack Podcast, or on the Discord, which is linked in the Twitter bio as well as in the show notes. A pack of wolves works together, so if you would like to learn from others, discuss the podcast episodes, or share other ideas and suggestions, please feel free to join our community and join in on those conversations. I hope that you all have a great week ahead. Until next Tuesday, onwards and upwards.